Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. So let me add a little second word to the young people. If we were to give you any advice um, about um, going to college, one of the most important things for going away is get a good church where you will be taught the Word of God. And uh, get in the Word, let the Word minister to you. Receive the Word of God. We see in this text of Scripture how crucial understanding the Word of God was for these believers in one of the most discouraging moments. You know, the, the goal of worship on one level, obviously the primary goal is to worship God for He is worthy. We're here to praise Him. But one of the secondary purposes, primary, secondary in there, purposes of worship is to catechize the people of God. Um, and even in the song we just sing, that, uh, sung, that comes out of catechism. I'm trying to remember if that's the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism or the Heidelberg. Is it? It's the Belgic Confession. Thanks, Gabe. It's the Belgic Confession. Uh, my wife grew up, Marianne grew up in the Christian Reformed tradition, so uh, saying the confessions and being taught the confessions was part of being catechized, being taught the Word of God so it would stick in your heart during um, the good times of life, but also the perplexing times of life. And you never know, like everything uh, is kind of designed in worship. Music is designed, for example, when Gabe's leading worship, to catechize you, that, that when you get to Wednesday and the world's upside down, you'll hear the songs that echo the scriptures, um, and they will encourage you and strengthen you and help you and get you to refocus. might be an instrument by which you help somebody else. I had a friend um, send me a text a couple of weeks ago. They were visiting here, and they had their granddaughter with them. And uh, I think this was meant to be a word of encouragement to us. While I was preaching, she memorized this verse on the wall. So they were on their way back up to Canada, and uh, she was drawing in the back. And they said, what are you doing? And she showed them what she was doing, and she was writing this verse out. Don't let your uh, light shine before men, that they might see you, but let your light so shine so that they might see Jesus. And, you know, that's worth worship. Put a little child, put that word in their heart, let that shape their lives. In this text of Scripture, it's really interesting. It's interesting because it's um, so like us. I hope you identify with these two on the road to Emmaus because they have Jesus right in front of them and they can't see him. And you and I look at this passage of scripture and go, how is it possible to have Jesus physically in front of you and you can't see him? But you and I need to acknowledge there are many times where Jesus is at work, Jesus is present, but we just can't see him. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about disappointment with God. And um, whether you're a young adult going off to college, um, whether you're a senior saint and you could be young in your faith, you're going to discover rather quickly that the story of God 
that he will write for your life is not the story that you would write for your life. Thank God. But a lot of times when that story is unfolding and you're in the middle of that journey, it can be very difficult. You start to hear words of discouragement in your heart. Where are you, Jesus? Jesus, I thought if you were with us, it would look very differently. I thought if you were on our side, that it would come out differently. And we all have had pointed moments. I think most of us who have been believers for any length of time will admit that there were critical moments in our lives where the cry of our heart echoes some of the things that we see here. Where are you, God? How can this possibly be? How can you stand seemingly passively by? And I want you to see a couple of things in this text just as initial um, comments to shape how we look at the text this morning. Look at verse 17. If you want to kind of get a description of what disappointment with God looks like, again, Jesus is great. (laughs) He's the best teacher there is. He knows exactly how to come alongside people. So Jesus comes up and speaks to the disciples that are walking along, and he asks them, what's been going on? Like, give me a news update as to what's going on, as if he didn't know. And, And they're like going, their reaction is like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And the truth is, he's the only one who knows what's going on. But he comes up, and listen to what it says in verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And listen to this, and, and, they stood still looking sad. Now, I, I'm going to say that's, a, that's partially a description of disappointment spiritually. When you get to that point where you're just standing still looking sad, you're disappointed. I can't see how this is good. I can't see how it's going to get fixed. I can't see how it could possibly be better the the paralysis of sorrow in a broken world thankfully Jesus is called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief so you don't need to fear that that uh, experience is somehow uh, something that Jesus is unacquainted with in the sense of sorrow over the state of things I want you to look down to verse 21 just so we can define here what spiritual disappointment might look like. Verse 21, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So in a sense, spiritual discouragement or spiritual disappointment is that state of standing still, feeling sad with your hopes of what God was going to do being dashed. And, and here they are. They, they're looking at Jesus. They can't see Jesus they're, they're saying to one another and speaking to Jesus, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Now, from our vantage point, we're going, duh. <laughs> what do you think he's doing there? But whatever their definition of redeeming Israel was, it did not include the cross. 
Whatever their expectation is of what Jesus would do to establish the nation of Israel and purchase it out of its captivity to Roman rule and oppression, what Jesus did was not what they expected. They believed that he had failed to deliver. And in the middle of that discouragement and disappointment, Jesus shows up. My friends, if you're feeling that today in this text of Scripture, my prayer is that Jesus would show up today. And walk with you for a little bit today. And say, are you discouraged? Have you come to a standstill in your spiritual life? Are you sad, deeply sad at how it's unfolding? Are you in, in a state where you thought, I thought it would go, di- I thought this story would look different, Jesus. Aren't you glad the Bible reads this way? Is this, this is how you feel? You, the, the word of God come by the spirit of God under the authority of God is speaking to you. Thank God he loves you. That he's compassionate. All those verses you quoted from the Psalms this morning, that he's acquainted with our sorrows and he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, one of the Psalms, uh, songs The old hymn on Christ the solid rock says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Those are moments that are sung in dark times when your faith is rock solid. Sometimes don't you feel like the anchor's moving? The wind is blowing. You're not quite sure. What does it take to see Jesus in those moments? There's joy in seeing Jesus, especially in those moments. This is a moment of deep discouragement that turns to delight when they see Jesus suddenly realize who he is. So let's walk through and ask the question, why don't I see Jesus sometimes? How can I see Jesus? What's going on in this text of Scripture? And here's the initial thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture Seeing Jesus is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. You and I need to start out to actually know Jesus and to see Jesus. We kind of assume as believers that it's a right <laughs> or it's, it should be a regular part of our lives. You and I need to be reminded in our lives the only reason we get to see Jesus is because Jesus gifts us the gift of seeing Jesus. And so when we start to look at the people in this text of Scripture, um, we, we need to realize in this passage, they're us. I mean, you read it and you go, how could you be so blind? My dear friends, they're us. And so look at what it says in this passage uh, of Scripture um, in Luke 24, verse 13. The very de- that very day, two of them are going to a village named Emmaus, About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And however the conversation is going, the the mood is going down. It's commiseration. They're sorrowing together. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Isn't that a sweet moment? At this moment, as they're walking to trudge, they're trudging. Without hope. Along, Jesus comes and walks along with them. Being the great teacher, compassionate Savior, he engages them. It says, 
verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's the first thing I um, want you to see. Their eyes were kept. And it's actually interesting um, in this passage, it's just a little bit later, they're un- unfolding to Jesus. You didn't know what was going on here? And then he talks about Jesus being handed over by the religious rulers, being arrested, being crucified, and it's been the third day since this happened. They say a few verses later. That should like go bing, right? They even have all the, and the women went to the tomb and the tomb was found empty. And we've heard this and they came back and some of the disciples went to check out. They heard all of that. And, and what's going on? All of us are going, uh-huh, third day. You know it's the third day. Jesus said on the third day, repeatedly said, the women are telling you, the disciples are telling you, and you're trudging. Let's just be real honest. You know all the facts, but your heart is weak and following. You've had the evidence. You've had the truth. You you, you see, having the truth in front of you doesn't mean having the truth inside you. Having it really plainly spoken to you in worship, in prayer, in scripture reading, in song, in, in the preaching of the word. It can be out there. But how does it get in here? And one of the lessons that we are meant to see is in this text of Scripture, the reason they don't see it is because it's kept from them. And as you and I think about that, we have to realize that the power to see is in the hands of God. It's in the providence of God. It's in the work of God. Listen to Tom Schreiner. He says, their failure to recognize him is not because his appearance or body has changed dramatically after his resurrection. Instead, God has prevented them from recognizing him. Daniel Garland says, the eyes of these two people have been deliberately kept from recognizing Jesus until after the interpretation of Scripture and their meal with him. And you and I might stop and say, why would God not let them see Jesus at this moment, immediately? Why would he not do this? And you and I need to kind of pull back and recognize that seeing Jesus is a gift of God given at the prerogative of God by the grace of God. We don't have any claim on seeing God. We don't have any right to see God. I would suggest this, even before Adam and Eve fell into sin, the, the fact that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and communed with them was a grace. It was a gift. He gifted his presence to them. Then what did they do? They sinned. And they were cast out of the garden. And one of the teachings of Scripture is that in a sense, when they were removed from the presence of God, to be removed from the presence of God is to be removed from sight of God, from the face of God. One of the consequences of sin is that God hides his face from his people. And you and I need to realize that's a universal condition that we are all under because of sin. So in the Old Testament... One of the punishments for sin in the Old Testament is that God would hide his face from his people. In the law, Deuteronomy 31, 17 to 18, the scriptures read this. 
uh, God talks about Israel wandering away from God. And he says, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. That's a prophecy in the Old Testament and that if God turns his face away from us, we don't have the capacity to see him if he's standing right in front of us. It's a spiritual hiding of himself. Now, I want to indicate, even in the, old, in, the, in the law, when he's talking about Israel's disobedience, the hiding of God's face ultimately is to make them desperate for God so that they might turn and seek him. But the reality is, you could have the resurrected Jesus standing in this room right now in front of you, and if, unless God gives you eyes to see, you won't see him. Let's not be puzzled about that. Do you remember earlier in the Gospel of Luke, there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man is trying to order Lazarus around, and he's talking to Abraham, and then he's realizing that there is a chasm between him and Abraham on the other side, the rich man. And so this is what the rich man says to Abraham in verses 27 of Luke 16. The rich man said, I beg you, Father Abraham, to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's the nature of spiritual darkness. If someone rises from the dead, even Jesus you won't see him if he stands right in front of you. That's the nature of spiritual darkness. But let me say this. You know, if you are inclined by the Spirit and compelled by the Spirit to seek God's face, the hardest thing, you know this, right? The hardest thing is not to see Jesus' face in the midst of your struggle. I believe that what God does is he removes from us the only thing that gives us light. The only thing that truly gives us meaning in order that we might long for his face listen to some of the psalms the psalmist pray this psalm 13 verse 1 this is a psalm to be sung at worship written by david how long O lord will you forget me forever how long will you what hide your face from me now again i think just just so you know this I think David represents Jesus who said, my God, my God, why hast thou, what, forsaken me? Even Jesus knew the hiding of the Father's face on our behalf. Psalm 102, verse 2, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, answer me quickly. We often feel like we have a right to see God's face, but listen, seeing God's face is a gift from God. 
It's a grace of God. Trillia Newbell um, tells, um, she's reflecting on Saul, uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve, which says, um, a, hope defer- a sick heart has, comes from a heart hope deferred. Proverbs says, if hope is deferred, you, your heart feels sick. And she said these, she, she talked about wanting to have a baby and um, having, she had, I don't know how many miscarriages. And she said, I longed for a child. That desire was not sinful. Children are a gift. But God was calling me to wait and endure various trials. He was teaching me patience. And I was learning how to trust him. God doesn't promise a life of ease. So she says this. So in my next trial, I want to cling to Jesus. I cannot cling to the doctor's diagnosis. I cannot cling to the assistance of medicine. I definitely cannot cling to my own understanding. He is my only hope. He is where my hope is built. She's describing a a deep personal pain that showed her that the thing she needed more than anything was to see the face of Jesus. Now I say this initially to say this, that sometimes we wonder, Jesus, why do you hide your face? Why would God possibly hide the face of Jesus from us? And, and, and we need to see this. Seeing Jesus' face is a gift of God's grace. But not seeing Jesus' face can also be a gift of God's grace. Because all of a sudden it tells you what you were made for. Who you were made for. What you're really longing for. And so God will sometimes remove his presence so that we would long for his presence. God will cover and hide his face so that we might realize that what I've longed for more than anything else is to see the face of Jesus. Jesus, do not forsake me. And to feel that is not problematic. To not feel it is. Again, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's sometimes where he places us. Secondly, then, because that's true, seeing Jesus requires a deep change of heart, not just a change of eyes. A deep change of heart, an inward working. Listen to this text in Luke 24, verse 26, when they tell him everything and say, and it's the third day since you did this. What's Jesus' response? He says in verse 26, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. What's the problem? O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. That's me. Is that not you? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, foolish ones. I begin to think if only if this was in place, if only my child was this way, if only my marriage was this way, if only my health was this way, if only my circumstances, if only my church was this way, if only these things were in place, then all would be well. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe. It's not having our circumstances all in the right place that fixes our hearts. What fixes our hearts is having our hearts in the right place. Changed and transformed by the redeeming power of Christ. 
Jesus says to them, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter glory? He's talking, don't you know what happened to Jesus? Haven't you heard what they've done to Jesus? And he stops and says, wasn't that necessary? Isn't that how the Bible reads? That the greatest need you have is redemption? Not redemption from Rome and its oppression, redemption from sin and its oppression. Not redemption from monetary troubles, but eternal troubles. Not redemption from conflict within your family, alienation from God. And I want you just to hear that, depending on your translation, the Greek says, was it not necessary that this happened to Jesus? He's challenging them to think, what do you think is your fundamental problem? What is it? And, and what, what he's saying here to them is, we're all, you all, are lost sinners in, de- in deep need of spiritual redemption, and we have no hope but in God himself to deliver us. Here, here's our difficulty. We think that our greatest struggles, this is where we stand still, look sad, and say we had hoped for something other than what's happening. Fundamentally, what happens to us is we expect Jesus to show up and join the story we're writing. Friends, he's got his own story. And when he called you to himself, when he called me to himself, he didn't say, I'm coming to join the story you're writing. Repentance is dropping the pen and embracing his story. That's the hard part of it, and it's the great part of it. It's the hopeful part of it. My... (laughs) College students, you'll be happy to drop the pen someday. There'll be a day when you're going, man, I'm, I don't want to write any more papers. I'll be done with that. But there's a bigger pen that you need to drop right now. And the pen you need to drop is writing the agenda for your own life. There is a mission that God is on. Gabe's got a friend, Chris, Chris Bruno, and Chris wrote these words. After Jesus' crucifixion, his followers failed to understand their place in the ongoing story of the Bible, and it wrecked them. They were sad and confused because they were foolish and slow of heart to understand the story and their place in it. Hear that? In the same way, to the extent that we do not understand the story of the Bible and our place in it, we will, be fa- we will fail to be faithful to the mission that God has entrusted to his people. And regardless of how successful we look or how miserable we seem to be failing, we will be living in the story God has intended for his people and on the mission that he will continue until the end of his story. You get that shift? The question that is put before us is what is God up to, not what am I up to? 
And when I ask the question, God, where are you? Is it because I'm asking God to show up and grab along the pen and join me in my writing rather than me realizing that the story of the Bible of sin and redemption is the story of humanity. It's the story of my life. And there's only one main story. And the one main story is of a God who saves sinners. And he'll do whatever it takes to bring them home. Aren't you glad for that? Does anybody want the pen? William Hendrickson says these men missed the joy of salvation because they failed to pay attention to, to believe, and to believe the word of prophecy in its entirety. And then he gives this warning. That's why we gave you Bibles today. Those who neglect the study of the word of God do not realize how much they miss. No wonder they look glum. Talking about these folks story of the bible is if you want to summarize all of the old testament law and the prophets that humanity is desperate and dead in their trespasses and sins and unless god comes and rescues them through the redeemer there is no hope for humanity the greatest and dominant need of our lives is for a savior this is how paul writes it looking at the old testament the law of moses Galatians 3, 22 and 26, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. You want to look at the law? What does it do? What do you want to look at the Old Testament prophets? What does it do? It says sin, 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 sin. Moses had the law. Can you tell me anyone who found themselves righteous in the presence of God by obedience and adherence to the law? Paul's argument was, I don't know anybody else who was closer than me and I got an F. Paul writes, the reason why Scripture imprisoned everything is so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned unto faith could be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. See what he's doing? Paul is telling the grand story of the Old Testament. Israel, Adam and Eve fall into sin. They're cast out of the garden. From that point on, there's a constant wandering. Abraham comes listening to the promises, but Abraham's a mess in need of it. And then Jacob comes and Jacob's a mess. And then there's a Joseph who shows up. And that Joseph is treated evil by his brothers, but God intends it for good. And then Israel cries out and says, give us a king. So they give him a king. Saul becomes the first king. He's a disaster. David becomes the great prototype of the Messiah, the son of David who would come. But David's a disaster. The story of the Bible through all the prophets and all the kings and all the laws and all the leaders is this, that we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one hope in a crucified and risen Savior. That's our only hope. So here's the question that I need to ask you this morning. Whose story do you want written on your life? Here's some questions to ask this morning. Do I really believe that God's main mission is to bring sinners like myself to himself through the gospel? Is that the story of the Bible? If I believe that, put that over everything else that's happening in your life. 
Do I really believe that God works his unfathomable purposes through circumstances that often look like complete failure and brokenness? Is that not how the Bible reads to you? It's not the mighty, it's the weak. It's not the wise, it's the foolish. It's not the strong, it's the broken. Am I unable to see Jesus at work in my everyday life because I've superimposed on God what I expected him to do in my life? Life doesn't go the way we expected. You and I have different narratives we want written, but thank God he keeps the pen and he writes the perfect story. So finally, I want you to see we need Jesus to help us see that the main story is his story. And only his story can rescue our story. What does Jesus do with these disciples? It says in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. You read through the Old Testament, there's supposed to be one message. Where are you, Jesus? Are you coming? Adam and Eve fall into sin and there's a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Where is the seed of the woman? Right? Abraham's seed will be bless, be, result in being a blessing to all the nations of the world so that the descendants of Abraham will be as many as the stars in the heavens and the sands on the seashores. Where are you, Abraham's seed? David's son would come and establish a kingdom and a temple that would reign forever and he would rule with justice. Where are you, David's son? Isaiah's servant would come. Born of a virgin. Under the law, fulfill the law and he would become the suffering servant and God would put all of, in Isaiah 53, all of our iniquities on him and God would crush him for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we would be healed. Where are you? Jesus stood there and talked to them. And they said afterwards, when he started teaching the Bible, did our hearts not start burning within us? When you see Jesus as the interpretive key, the center of the Bible in the all the broken moments of the Old Testament and all the broken moments of your life, doesn't your heart begin to burn within you? Doesn't it begin to change? It, it could be that you came in sad, standing there, feeling sad. It could be thinking, I had hoped that he would redeem this situation. But suddenly you realize he's up to something. He hasn't dropped the pen. He hasn't forgotten about us. But he's up to something, and in that something, he's actually going to redeem our brokenness. Not give us what we want now. Ultimately, he will give us what we truly want one day. But in the middle of all of this, he will continue to work. The big story, we need Jesus to open up the word of God so that we see him in all of scripture, so that we can see him in all of life. Songwriter William Cooper says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides 
a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. We need Jesus to interpret the story. We need Jesus at the heart of the story to interpret it. Secondly, the breaking of bread. So he breaks the bread of the word. We need that, but he breaks the bread. Isn't it interesting in this text of Scripture that Jesus, it isn't till Jesus breaks bread, says in verse 30 and 31, while he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Suddenly, in taking of the bread and breaking the bread and giving it to them, their eyes are opened. What's going on there? Why is it at this moment that God gives them the grace to see? Because this is it. Until you realize the grand narrative of Jesus' saving work in all of humanity had you in mind. And Jesus broke his body for you. And no matter how you see the circumstances of your life right now, you must interpret everything under this. He is for you. He is with you, and he deeply loves you, and if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Until we see that his story was for us personally, we'll never find joy or hope in the shadows of our stories. The answer to our discouragement is not in the resolution of our immediate struggles, but in the recognition of the fact that Jesus came to redeem us personally and to deliver us into his everlasting kingdoms. Friends, some of the things that we long for will never be rectified till heaven. But Jesus has already done everything for us. And that's our guarantee, that's our destiny. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, writes this, even the greatest of miracles do not resolve the problems of this earth. All people who find physical healing eventually die. We need more than a miracle. We need a new heaven and a new earth. And until we have those, unfairness will not disappear. When we take communion and we participate it, Jesus says to us, when he says your name, believer, he says your name, I gave this for you. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. And when you believe the gospel personally applies to you, your eyes are open. Then you realize that there's a bigger story than the story of your life, the story of salvation, the the story of deliverance, the the story of equipping you and setting you free. So friends, this is the question this morning. Will you surrender your story to his story? Will you embrace Jesus' brokenness so that, hear this, you can embrace a life of brokenness for others? Sometimes the broken stories of our lives, all the time the broken stories of our lives, are actually there because you're part of the bigger story and God intends to use you not in your strength but in your brokenness. We want (laughs) to be the hero. We want people to go, wow, look at his faith. 
We want people to look at that person and go, aren't they remarkable? My dear friends, the way that God works for us is for us to stand side by side and say, if it were not for the Lord, I would perish. And that's when Jesus gets the glory and salvation comes to others. Amen? So we're going to take communion together. I want communion to feel a little bit different today. Because when you partake of the bread and you drink of the wine, one, say, Jesus, thank you. See Jesus today. Ask God to help you see Jesus. If you're a believer, I invite you to take the bread and the wine and ask God, let me see you. This is for me that you've done this. And as you take and participate it, also say this. As I take the bread and I drink the cup, I surrender my story to your story, Jesus. And would you give the pen back? Lift up your chin. The story ends gloriously to the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare to take communion together, we thank you for the great narrative of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who did not, uh, even though he hated the cross, he did not turn away from it for our sake and for your glory and praise. And uh, Dear God, it's often hard for us to see Jesus in our circumstances. So again, we pray by the grace that's in the story of the cross, in the work of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, give us hope again. Help us see again. Help us surrender again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.